eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown. Your boundless love, unfailing in grace and mercy shown. Bright seraphim in ceaseless flight around your glorious throne. They raise their voices day and night in praise to you alone.
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's sing praises to him this morning.
give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. this morning for the opportunity to join here in this place together to praise your name freely lord we give you thanks we don't take that for granted this morning but we pray that you would prepare our hearts even now to continue in worship through your word in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated
Good morning. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Becky Visser. I am the um, Children's Ministry Director here at Hardwike Ministries. And this summer we have a really fun program coming. Now, if that video didn't get you excited, I want to talk to you after the service. Um, we are inviting all kids ages four through entering fifth grade to our Adventure Week, also known as VBS, but we're naming it a little different. Um, because Heart Awake is going to be different than other churches. Some of them by box program here at Heart Awake, we write our own program, program specific for Heart Awake kids. So we're going to invite kids to register for that program this summer. We are also still looking for a few volunteers. So if you are 12 years of age or older, that is the majority of you in this room, you are invited to come that week, help out for one day, more than one day. Let me know um, when you're available. We'd love to have you come and help and be a part of this very exciting week with us. At this time, I would like to invite the children pre-K through fifth grade that would like to be dismissed for Children's Sunday School um, just to go stand by the doors over there. And if your children choose to stay in the service, um, please feel free to utilize the binders that are found on the welcome table out there. <clears throat> we have a live group this morning. All right, kids, are you ready? Okay, there is a special way if you're visiting here today that we dismiss for Sunday school. Adults, you know your part. The Lord be with you. I didn't have it noted, but I think we'll pray for the teachers this morning too. Um, it's my privilege to lead us in a congregational prayer this morning, so will you pray with me using the words of Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his, form, his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God, what a privilege it is to come before you and praise you um, and just take comfort and rest um, that we are in your care. It's amazing, and God, you pour it out Day after day, new mercies, new comfort. Um, thank you for the feeling of joy. Thank you for giving us that gift. Let nothing steal it from those little ones who just left, and let nothing steal it from the hearts of their teachers either today. We just pray a special blessing over them as they worship too. Uh, Lord, we bring before you this morning those in our church family who are struggling with an illness, an upcoming surgery, um, a scary diagnosis, or the loss of a loved one. Give us eyes and ears um, to be what they need in your name and give us your heart so that we can see others and let your love flow through us to them. May we truly be a ministry of action and not just words. 
in times of pain and turmoil or tragedy, help us remember your promises and help us reflect those promises to everyone we meet. Thank you for this beautiful place we live. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this church. Um, God, wherever your word is going out today, may it be done um, just bringing glory to your name and may it be a sweet offering to you today. Help us to appreciate the beauty around us. Help us to appreciate this creation and care for it as you would have us do. And God, I just pray over our pastors this morning. Um, let your spirit flow through this place, God, both now and as we leave. Uh, may we take your spirit with us. May you especially be with Pastor JB as he brings our word this morning. May it be your words coming from him. God, we just give you all the glory. We love you. We need you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Joan. I don't know if we can bring the same kind of energy as those kiddos did. Should we try? I'm hearing no. Okay, we're not, we're not going to try that, yeah. Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to, uh, no, wait, good morning. good morning. We always let you respond. Yeah, good morning. Welcome to, to Fusion here at Hardaway Ministries. A beautiful weekend. The weather has kind of turned. I think it's safe to say that spring has sprung. That's what someone said to me. Amen. It is good. The uh, smell of tulips is in the air. Uh, the smell of tourism and food trucks is in the air. And I know we got some guests uh, visiting from out of town for tulip time. Pray that uh, your experience here in our lovely city is a beautiful thing. And prayers that your experience in our church community is a welcoming gift as well. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Pastor JB. Would love that opportunity. We're going to have some donuts and refreshments for our visitors, for all of us. It's not just visitors, but just so the visitors know, uh, that's where the donuts are. Bowerman, blueberry donuts every week. We know how to eat. I don't know. What, 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 yeah, eat. I don't know. We know how to eat goodies. Amen? Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued faithfulness and supporting the ministries here. Uh, we can't do things like Adventure Camp and all the things that happen across campus if it were not for your generosity. So just thank you for that. Uh, we so appreciate that. Uh, but this morning, we are jumping into our series. And for the last time, I'm going to say, we're jumping back into the story series. Can you believe it? It is our last Sunday uh, through a 30-week 31-week study of the whole narrative of Scripture. We've been using this resource called The Story. And so back in September, we started in the book of Genesis, and today we end with the book of Revelation. To kind of summarize where we've been for 30-plus weeks in 20 seconds, can I do it? Yes. <laughs> we'll see. Creation, Genesis 1 and 2. God made this world, and it was beautiful, and it was good. Genesis 3, sin comes into this world. Uh, humanity chooses not what is of God, and sin corrupts this world. And the next uh, chapters of our Bible are, are God's plan to redeem what has been broken. First through a nation of Israel, then through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is where we then we began learning about this movement of Jesus' followers that extended to the ends of the earth. That's the, that's the chapter we're actually in today. Um, but this week we're going to look at where the story ends looking at the book of Revelation. My hope is, have you enjoyed the series? That's a trick, like, who's going to say, no, so glad it's over. Um, not at least in a public setting, but you can email me if, if you, anyway, please don't. I'm a, little, I'm a little hyped up, I don't know, playing some music, singing some songs, but uh, my hope is that this series has helped better your understanding of scripture as a unified story that leads to Jesus. 
My hope and my prayer is that this has, has inspired you with maybe some, some new confidence even to continue to dive into God's word, to love God's word, and to anticipate, to anticipate the Holy Spirit is gonna speak into your life as you open the pages of this book. Uh, I stumbled across this graphic a couple uh, weeks ago and I just thought it was amazing. Uh, this is a, a little graphic of the 60, almost 64,000 cross-references and allusions in the scriptures. And uh, as we just kind of wrap up a series studying the Bible, how much the Bible references and there's echoes throughout the scriptures, uh, I just find that absolutely incredible. Particularly when you consider dozens of authors over a thousand years, multiple genres, and it's all one unified story that leads to Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you, but that can only be a work of the Spirit. Amen? I just think that's really incredible. And today we're, we're stepping into the book of Revelation. It's the final book of the Bible, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, not revelations, just one, you know, there's only one revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, but it's a work that has intimidated Christ followers for millennia. Little side note, we're at a Reformed church. Uh, John Calvin, it's the only book of the Bible that John Calvin did not write a commentary on. Little interesting. So hey, I'm just going to go tackle it in one week, you know, John Calvin. Uh, Revelation is in the genre of apocalyptic literature, um, but we hear that word apocalyptic, you know, kind of against common assumptions. Apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. Uh, apocalypse is, is from a Greek word that literally just means unveiling or revealing or like kind of like to take back the curtain to help us see. Hence the title of the book, Revelation. Right? Because God is helping us to see something, what is really going on in this world. And the and apocalyptic literature uses all kinds of imagery and symbols to kind of help us see a deeper truth of what we witness in our world and uses images uh, to help us see those things. Now, it's important to note this, this image, right? So many of the images in the book of Revelation are actually drawing on other biblical imagery and symbols, um, which creates some confusion for us 2,000 years later, but when you look at the book of Revelation in the context of the whole Bible, it, it really comes to life. Here's a quick overview of the book of Revelation. Uh, it, is a book, it is a letter written by John uh, from the prison island of Patmos uh, to seven churches in kind of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. The first three chapters, uh, you'll notice there are these specific messages to those seven churches. Uh, chapters four and five, John is, is given this peek into the throne room of God. It's an incredible vision in chapters four through five. And then chapters uh, six through 16 is kind of where a lot of people get lost in Revelation. It's a series of sevens. Did you notice those series of sevens? Seven is a significant number. There's seven series of sevens that give a picture of divine judgments and justice where the the sin and the evil in our world is dealt with and then finally chapters 17 through 22 really John receives this vision of how Jesus will come again and all things will be restored for our time this morning what I want to do is just settle in on the last two chapters in the book of Revelation and explore this vision. John receives this incredible vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And what we're going to do is we're going to read selections uh, from John's vision to help us explore uh, these three overlapping images that are happening in these two chapters. Those three images, uh, the cue is kind of from the subheadings in the NIV. Uh, but a new heaven and a new earth, uh, a new Jerusalem, 
and a new garden. We're going to read selections of those and just kind of glean a couple things from those visions. Uh, But as we step into God's word, as we do as our tradition, uh, we stand. And so if you're willing and able to stand and honor God as he speaks to us this morning, I'd invite you to do that. Uh, We'll be reading selections, again, of Revelation chapter 21 and 22 this morning. John continues his vision, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And we jump ahead a couple verses where John sees this this vision of this city and explains it in more detail. Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. John will go on to describe in in many details this holy city, this new Jerusalem, Uh, but then it picks up, the vision picks up in chapter 22, uh, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will, need, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we just take a moment and pause Because, Lord, what, what, what your word describes, what John is trying to put into words is a reality that cannot be grasped fully on this side of heaven. And so we just pause and wonder at your good plan and your good future. Lord, as we consider this future, as we consider uh, your word that we've studied for 31 weeks, that we study every week, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd speak, that you'd encourage, that you would challenge, so that in all of these things, we would more and more begin to resemble your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen and amen. Back in in high school, I, I played 
basketball, and I, I, keep, I keep talking about my basketball. I don't know, maybe because I'm playing during the week with a group of guys. And, and I've shared this before that I, I, I was not all that good, but uh, I, I tried hard. I dove on the ground a lot, and uh, I went to a pretty small high school, which means I made the team. Um, any guesses? I don't know if you can see the number. I'm, I'm number 12 there next to coach in the middle. Um, but here's the thing. Because I, I wasn't that good at basketball, I, I, I had no grand illusions that, that, that basketball would take me anywhere in life. Like I, I, I had a pretty solid grasp that my basketball career would end my senior year of high school when I played my last basketball game, which just happened to be on my 18th birthday, March 1st, 2001. Well, now, anyway, you do the math. So there you go. That's how long ago it was. Side note, uh, this past week, maybe, maybe it was two weeks ago, Bryson came up to me and he asked me, hey, Dad, you, you played for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? <laughs> and I said, yes, son. <laughs> yes, I did. No. Uh, I was kind of, yeah, anyway, he's young and foolish. No, he's, yeah, anyway. Uh, but anyway, I, I mentioned that, that I didn't have any grand delusions, but there was, there was one of my teammates on my basketball team who, uh, who actually did believe that basketball would take him farther in life. And because he saw that as his potential future, he practiced relentlessly. And he practiced way more than I would have ever wanted to practice. He spent hours in the gym. In fact, he, he, had a, he had a little court, a half court in his backyard. And, and he made it his point. This was his own personal goal. But he committed to hitting, making 300, like, three-point shots every day before he did anything else. Not shoot 300 shots, but making 300 three-point shots every day, and it paid off. Uh, at the end of the practice, uh, I don't know if other teams did this, but every, every practice ended where you'd shoot free throws, Right? And uh, everyone else on the team, we would shoot, you know, 20 or 25 free throws. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. And then we would report to the coaches how many free throws we made out of 20 or 25. But this particular teammate of mine, he had a different rule. Instead of shooting 25, he just shot till he missed. So how many can you make in a row? And I just remember this one practice after practice, everyone's kind of watching him shoot free throws because he had made over 100 free throws in a row. And we were trying to see how far he would get pretty remarkable. Now anyway, why, why do I share this kind of story from way back when? Um, here's the thing, Be because he had a vision for the future, his future, and it shaped how he lived in the present. Because when you know where you are headed, it informs the rest of the journey. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we're, we're given a vision of the future. And so the question is, what do we do with that vision for our good future? How does it shape how we live in the present? Now, admittedly, there's, there's so much we could unpack as far as just these two chapters that give us this vision of our good future. But what I want to do is just zero in on these three overlapping images, these visions that John receives, and consider what each of them, maybe one or two things, what each of them tell us about our good future. A new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, 
and a new garden. Let's begin with a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8 is this vision, the first part of this vision that John receives, and it opens this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now remember, there, there was this, this graphic of this, these colorful lines, these arcs that were connecting different parts of the scriptures. Remember, there's hundreds of references and allusions in the book of Revelation alone that connect it and link it to other parts of the Hebrew Bible. And here in, in chapter 21, verse 1, there is a hyperlink right to the first verse of the scriptures. And so we travel all the way back to September when we study Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.1 reads this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is, is, is linking this good future with the very beginning of all things. And he sees, as he sees, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away in this good future. Remember the story of Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Remember with me, God created the heavens and the earth and, and it was good. You remember after day 6, God even said it was very good. God had brought order and completion and he filled the created world with life and goodness and being. Chapters one and two. But then something went wrong in chapter three, Genesis chapter three, right? Sin through human decision entered in and this good creation was corrupted and broken. This is what John is referring to as the first heaven and the first earth or the old order of things that have passed away. This is the first thing John's vision tells us, that, that all the former things of that broke, the brokenness have passed away. The former things have passed away. Now, now, what does that mean? John helps us unpack some of it with some imagery and some declarations uh, uh, in the following chapters. Let's consider just a few of them. They're on the screen if you'd like to follow along. The first of those that we read right in verse 1 was, there was no longer any sea. Now, we read that. What, what does that mean? Like, we live in West Michigan. We live by this most gorgeous freshwater sea that is Lake Michigan. So what, what are we saying? That there's, there's no lakes or there's no oceans? Like, no, 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 no. What, what we need to understand is from an ancient perspective, what does the sea represent? And in the ancient world, the, the sea represented chaos. Remember in Genesis 1, the spirit hovered over the waters. The waters represent this chaos, right? In, I, in Isaiah 27, there's this, this vision of this image of the Leviathan roaming the sea, like the sea represented evil and sin and chaos and destruction because when you went out onto the sea, suddenly you're at the whims, right, of the sea. It represented chaos. And so there's no more chaos. There's no more destruction in this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. What next? We read God declares what, what this means, that the old order of the world characterized by death and pain and tears is no more. Let me just read verse four again. He heard a voice. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. In this vision of a new heaven and a new earth, there is no more pain. There is no more death. There is no more crying or weeping or mourning because the old order of things has passed away. We continue reading in other places. We didn't read this in our text, but chapter 21, verse 8, there's this list of those who are not part of the kingdom. Unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the idolaters, the liars, to name a few. Now, the point is not to, to isolate and, and point out who in, you know, who's not going to make it. No, the point is 
The point is that it's to recognize that sin and all the destructive behaviors that are associated with sin, there is no place for that in the kingdom. If there's no death in the kingdom, if there's no pain, how can there be murderers in the kingdom of God? Evil behavior is not part of this vision. Verse, chapter 22, verse 3, we also read that no longer there will be any curse, which also tells us that, that sin's impact, and we see that sin has an impact on the whole created world, will be lifted and removed, that the creation will be healed and restored and made new. No longer will, will human beings have to fight with the earth for it to produce food. Now there's a tree of life producing vegetation 12 times a year. No curse. Now, as we think about this end of the story, what I want to do is, is kind of just briefly connect to the rest of the story the last 30 weeks that we've been studying because there are these threads that weave through the story that connect to this point. Do, do, do you remember? So we follow the thread. You remember the story. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the struggle and the brokenness and sin's consequence and evil, the impact of evil on God's created world that he created good, and now it's corrupted and it's evil, and we've, we've been following the story of Israel. And, and the story of Israel is not like this people who are holy and good, you know, going to bed. No, the people of God are corrupted by evil as well. And so we've been following the story and seeing how evil and, and, and sin just corrupts God's good world. But then we, we don't have to look very far because we look at our own world and we see that, that this thread of, of sin and brokenness and evil continues to weave its way through this world that we live. I mean, even just this past weekend, again, our hearts see what's happening in our world and our hearts cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we see where those threads lead. It's a vision of a future where sin and brokenness and violence and murder and destruction is no more. Instead, John sees a vision of heaven coming down to earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And he goes on to describe this holy city. This is the second image I want to uncover. The new Jerusalem, the bride of the lamb, Jesus Christ. Let's explore this vision briefly and see what it tells us about our good future in the kingdom that is to come, a holy city. Again, there's so much we could unpack, right? Uh, there are details, we didn't even read them all, but there's all of these details that describe this, this beautiful city and all of those details have this symbolic meaning telling us something about what is impossible to capture into words. And, and, that, and that's the, the limits of, of human language, right? For example, uh, you know, John's seeing this vision of heaven. For example, even if I just saw a beautiful sunset on Lake Michigan, we have some beautiful sunsets, Amen. But if I were trying to describe that sunset to you and I were like, oh man, and there, at this point there were these oranges and reds and then it, you know, that, that does not compare to actually be, you know, seeing a picture of the sunset and that doesn't even compare to actually being on the beaches of Lake Michigan and seeing those colors paint the sky, amen? So John tries to put into words what is impossible to capture in human language but he gives us this vision of a holy city and, and the, the main thing I want to take away from this vision of a holy city is, is what it tells us about God's presence with humanity. 
Because what the city teaches us, this holy city, this new Jerusalem, is that God's presence is, is perfectly here on earth with his people. It's beautifully captured in Revelation 21, verse 3. We read that this morning. When this voice from the throne says, look, hear it again, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The Greek word here uh, for dwell is literally the, the, the same word for, for tent or, or tabernacle. Now, if we go back to the fall, do you remember the tabernacle from the book of Exodus? God gives his people uh, uh, kind of design plans, drawing plans for the tabernacle. The tabernacle would be God's presence with God's people in the desert. As they traveled and wandered, if you will, through the desert, they, they had these, the tabernacle and they would set up the tabernacle so that God's presence would be with them all throughout the wilderness. Exodus 25 and following. Later, God's house would become the temple, a, poor, a more permanent structure that was built by Solomon in the city of Jerusalem, 1 Kings 6, November, maybe that's where we were at, maybe in November. But interestingly, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, we're told, John, uh, we read this, that he does not see a temple in the city. And why is there no temple in the city of Jerusalem? Well, he explains it right after. Because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no need for a temple in this new creation because God's presence dwells perfectly and completely with his people. Instead, John, gives, uh, instead John sees the city uh, that is an image of the temple because we get these interesting uh, dimensions, if you're reading, and the dimensions of the city are these massive dimensions, but what's more fascinating is that the dimensions are in a perfect cube. Now, that's not a very sensible way to design a city to make it as long and wide. Square makes sense, but as high as it is wide, like, well, what John is telling us, and what God is telling us through John is that this cubic dimension perfectly mirrors the cubic dimension of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So the city is the dwelling place, the Holy of Holies, the temple of the Lord where God dwells perfectly with his people in perfect peace and harmony. And finally then, John sees in this holy city, the new Jerusalem, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And the imagery that's in elsewhere in the New Testament is that the church of Christ is the bride of Christ, which captures and tells us something about the dynamic of the relationship between Jesus and Christ's church. It's a relationship defined by love and commitment and dwelling together. In other words, the, the, the arrangement in this new Jerusalem is not some kind of neutral living arrangement like God putting up with kind of an annoying roommate, right? No. This is a relationship defined by love and trust and intimacy. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. Again, let's, let's follow the thread. We spend 31 weeks in the scriptures. There is a thread running through the story about God longing to dwell and be with his people. From very early on in the book of Genesis, we read this line in chapter three that, 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 that the Lord walked in the garden the cool of the day. You remember that line? Like this was just part of their relationship that God's just walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
But we, we fast forward then to, again, this image of, of the tabernacle. Even before that, God meeting with Moses on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And then God creating this building, the structure, so that he can dwell in the midst of his people and that this pillar of smoke, this pillar of fire can lead them through the wilderness. And then later on, the temple where God's presence dwells with the people. Even when they're cast off into exile, we're told that God's presence went into exile with them, right? And then, of course, it culminates in Jesus Christ in the incarnation where, where God takes on human flesh and the God who created the heavens and the earth steps into this broken world through his son, Jesus Christ. And John, same author, puts it beautifully in chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's that same word, tabernacling, if you will. God dwelling with his people and the threads that have been running through and weaving their way through the story that we've been studying culminate in this vision of a new heaven and a new earth where God dwells with his beloved creation, a holy city. And then finally, John sees something else about the holy city in Revelation. It is a new image of a garden. This vision, if, if you're reading it, and if, if you were to hold Genesis chapter 2, and you were to read chapter, Genesis chapter 2 and Revelation 22, these five verses, you'd be like, whoa, all the connections would be just leaping off the page. Because this vision in chapter 22 is steeped in imagery from the Hebrew Bible. Not only Genesis chapter 2, but also this beautiful vision from Ezekiel 47. If you're looking for some exciting reading, take a look at that this afternoon. But there's this vision of a river flowing from the throne room of God and the Lamb. And, and right down the middle of the city is this flowing river with a tree of life yielding fruit from every month with leaves for the healing of nations. It's an image of the Garden of Eden. And yet, it's a better version of the Garden of Eden. And it's found just planted in the middle of this city. This imagery speaks to the abundance and life found in the city of God. Let's talk a little bit about abundance. The garden represents a place of abundance, right? A place where there is, is no scarcity. There's no lack. There's no want. There's no lacking of resources. Water is literally flowing through the streets of the city. Again, put yourself in a desert context where they're, 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 the main struggle is to find water. And here it is just gushing, freely flowing from the throne room of God down the middle of their streets. And on either side of that river, there's a tree of life that produces 12 kinds of fruit. And it yields that fruit once a month. So 12 times a year, there is this abundant harvest of fruit. How amazing is that, right? I'm sure some of our blueberry farmers wishes that they would, maybe not. I don't know, I'm not a blueberry farmer. But it's an incredible vision, right, of abundance, and not only that, but this, this extends beyond just the people of God. It's for the healing of the nations, right? This is a, a vision of the future that encompasses more than just the nation of Israel, right? It's all of God's people. This is not a, a vision of stinginess or scarcity, but one of abundance and one that leads toward generosity and life. Let's talk a little bit about life. There's two primary images here that are, are taken from the pages of Genesis 2, right? Uh, a river called the water of life, flowing with the water of life, and then the tree of life. Again, both of those are from Genesis 2. They provide life for the garden, the river supplying life to the fruit, the tree of life, and then the tree of life providing life for the people. 
Again, it's a vision of plenty where people also find purpose because we're told that they live in service of the king and they reign with God. It is not only abundance in life, but it is people who are truly living with a purpose to serve the lamb. Abundance, life. Again, let's step back into the story. Let's follow the thread. There's some common threads woven throughout the story from, from that original Eden, which this represents, where, where the, God provided all that Adam and Eve needed. But then continue on in the story, we see God's provision of God's people to lead them out of Egypt. And then they're in the desert, and God's provision to provide, even in the desert place. And we, we read stories, remember these stories from manna from heaven. We read stories of, of, of water gushing out of a rock when Moses strikes it with his staff, right? Abundance and life, even in the barren wasteland, even in exile where God brings them back to the promised land to finally where we get to Jesus Christ, who is life, who is the resurrection, who in the book of John chapter 10 says the thief comes to, to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come they might have life. And what kind of life? Abundant life. Jesus, a fulfillment of this, and this vision is a fulfillment of that thread that's been weaving throughout the scriptures, but throughout human history, where God and Jesus Christ become our abundant source of all life. Again, this is, this is more than just a, a replica of the city of Jerusalem. This is more than just a duplicate of the Garden of Eden. This is something renewed. This is something better. This is something new. It's a holy city with a garden at its center, a, a new garden city where God and Jesus lives in union with his people, enjoying abundant life and perfect peace. It is a beautiful, beautiful image, amen? But let's return to the original question for us this morning. God gave John and through John gave us by the power of the Spirit a vision of this good promised future. And so the question remains, how does this vision of the future shape our lives today? How does this vision of our, of our good future inform our present? A vision of all things being made new, a vision of God's perfect presence dwelling with humanity, a vision of abundance and a life. How does it inform our present reality today? Well, I think it informs everything. <laughs> it informs everything about how we live today. Again, this morning we've been pointing out the threads of these truths and these realities that have been weaving throughout the biblical story as well as history. God has been working in human history to restore what sin has corrupted. We remembered that thread we remember that, that God is at work toward finding ways to dwell with his people. Tabernacle, temple, Jesus Christ, and ultimately to bring life that is abundant and full. This has been the story and the threads that have weaved through the story for these last 30 plus weeks. And this vision in Revelation 21 to 22, this new garden city is, is not some otherworldly future completely unrecognizable to the biblical imagination. No, this vision makes all the sense in the world if you've been reading the rest of your scriptures. Instead, this vision in Revelation 21 and 22 is a culmination of where the whole story has been leading all along. 
And friends, our call is not to sit around as passive observers and bystanders waiting for the future to come. But no, our call as followers of Jesus Christ is to be active participants who who pick up those threads leading to this future and begin living into that vision because we're still part of the story. Starting this summer, we are, we're starting a new sermon series, and, and I hope you'll join us. Um, starting in June, we're starting a new sermon series on, on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it just so happened that, that the Lord's Prayer just fits so beautifully. Uh, let, me, let me read uh, this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. You'll notice on the screen there's some lines highlighted in yellow. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven, that heaven would descend and break into our reality. And so we do. As Christians, as followers of Christ, 2,000 years later, we pray for glimpses of this new garden city reality to break into our daily lives in powerful ways. We pray for God's kingdom to come, for, for us to experience freedom from sin, from healing from sin's consequences. We pray that God's kingdom would come, that we would experience God's presence in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth, that we would experience life abundant and provision, not just for us, but for all people. We pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. But not only do we pray for God's kingdom to come, but we recognize that we are called to participate in that kingdom work. We live into those prayers that we pray. We live into those promises that God has offered, being willing to be used by God so that others might experience glimpses of heaven breaking into their reality now here on earth. Why? Because it's through those glimpses that so often the Spirit uses to change hearts and bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ where they can experience more of the fullness of God by the power of the Spirit. As we close this morning, here's, here's the thing I, I want you to know and, and I think it's important for us to close with, but all of these promises that are, that are true in their fullness in this vision of God's kingdom that is coming when Christ returns, they're, they're already available in Jesus Christ today. Forgiveness, freedom from sin, we get to experience glimpses of that in Jesus Christ. God's presence, the, the, the language in the New Testament is union with Christ, that Christ dwells in us, we, we are in him, right? This life that is abundant, where, where we have all that we need, where mo- we experience more than enough, it's all available in Jesus Christ as a gift of grace. And as we close, what, what I think it's important to recognize is that the whole story, like one of the last verses of this vision is, is an invitation, it's an invitation from Jesus. Revelation 22, not the last verse of Revelation, but one of the last verses, we read this. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. 
and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, I'll add, come. This letter that was written ends with an invitation. An invitation to receive life in Jesus Christ. It is an invitation that I don't offer, but Jesus Christ himself offers to come and experience this free gift of grace, life in Jesus Christ. And we as a community say, come, join us on a journey, a journey of being found and formed by and following Jesus Christ. Become part of this story. We can't do it alone. We do it as a community. We're gonna mess up along the way, but that is the grace of the gospel. If you've never received this gift, let's talk. Because Christ is standing and offering himself an invitation. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to speak to each of us. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your call in our lives. We thank you, God, as the, as the, the story comes to an end, as the book of Revelation comes to, to an end we're reminded of this invitation to receive a gift of grace that we've done nothing to earn or deserve. But Lord Jesus, because of your great love for us, you offer to each of us. Lord, we pray that, that you would give us hearts that are attentive to your spirit. And Lord, if your spirit is is nudging us, Lord, may, may we listen and, and may we have a conversation with, with someone we trust, one of our elders or, or myself, Lord, so that we would not ignore those nudges that come from you. So that, Lord, we would be people who, who pray and anticipate and have great hope because of this vision of what is to come, Lord Jesus, when you come again. But, Lord, may that also inform how we live today. To be those who pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, that we'd be listening to your spirit leading us because you might be calling us and using us to move in powerful ways. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this gospel of hope. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing with us. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the God of ages 
step down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Jesus yours is the May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.